Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. When it comes to covering the LGBTQ cases, I found that it is very hard to research any identifying information about the victim besides their sexuality. I will say this, it was very challenging to find anything about our victim, Sage Smith, who was only 19 at the time of her supposed death. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime in Net. Sage Smith was born on December 13th, 1992, and so she will be 30 today, and she's exactly my age. Sage had a rough go of it growing up. Her mother was deemed unfit, and so she was put in the foster system where she bounced around several foster homes until she finally aged out of the system at 18. So when she aged out in in fall of 2012, she was able to by the age of 19 then get her own apartment with her with a roommate and she was able to get a job and her life was finally looking up because she was finally in control of her own destiny. This is also around the same time where she came out as transgender. Itch's grandmother describes her as always smiling And this is a quote from her grandmother, Lolita, also lovingly known as Cookie. She would come in and that smile would just light up a room. So here is a rough timeline of what happened the day of Sage's disappearance on November 20th of 2012. And the information that I'm sharing with you today is from a website called Uncovered. And so it is not a traditional news outlet. And all of the information I'm sharing with you has been collected by the community. So at around 5 to 5.30 p.m. that day, she called her father and she was congratulating him on his anniversary of his release date from jail. She also asked him for some money because that's her daddy. And it is believed that she had asked money just for shopping or for her hair or, you know, just just she, she's 19. She asked her dad for money. Also that night, she told her roommate, Aubrey Carson, that she will be meeting someone. She didn't say who or why, but Aubrey just immediately suspected that she was going on a date that night. And Sage was in fact going on a date and she was going to meet up with a man named Eric McFadden. And she has been texting Eric McFadden all day. So at 5.17, Aubrey is getting ready for her date. She's been spending the whole afternoon dolling herself up and she texts Eric, when are you leaving? And at 520, Eric responds with, I already did. I'm at the Hampton Inn. And this is all taking place, by the way, in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is where she lives. And this is where Eric is meeting her. And so after hearing that her date's already there, she goes into her living room, wakes up her roommate, Aubrey, who is sleeping on the couch. I mean, relatable. And she tells Aubrey that, all right, 
I'm heading out on my date and I'll be back tonight. I think it's notable that she woke up her roommate to tell her that because she's, you know, she wants her roommate to know, hey, I'm leaving and I should be back tonight. And that's something that us girls always be doing. And I find that notable that she really wanted to make sure that Aubrey knew that she was going to be back. At 6.08, Eric texts Sage again and asks her, where are you at? And after not getting a response, he texts her again at 6.12, I'm standing here. Where are you? At 6.18, Sage is actually talking on the phone to a friend who lives in Northern Virginia. And she is actually walking down the street, presumably towards her date, who is waiting for her. At 6.27, Eric sends a somewhat angry text to Sage saying, you stood me up. Bye. Also at this time, Sage is walking towards their rendezvous point, which in some of the messages, their rendezvous point is the Amtrak station. But then Eric says in one message, he is at the hotel. All of these locations are in the same area, but it will take you quite a minute to walk to these locations. And Sage was walking. She did not have a car. She's 19. So she's walking as most teenagers do. And around this time, her stepsister actually sees her on the street. And she saw Sage on the phone and she overheard Sage speaking to whoever was on the other end saying that she will be there in five minutes. However, her stepsister, whose name is Kiera Morgan, I hope I'm saying her name right. Kiera claims that she had no idea who she was talking to or where she was supposed to or where her stepsister was heading that day. She was last seen at around 6.30 p.m. And she was on the 500 block of West Main Street walking towards the Amtrak train station. She also may have been spotted at the Wild Wing Cafe, which is right next to the Amtrak station at approximately 7 p.m. But this sighting is unconfirmed. So take that as you will. And, and she just has not been seen since. On that same day, her date, Eric, told friends that he was meeting someone at West Main Street that night, the same street that Sage was last seen before she disappeared. Eric claimed that he was supposed to meet her at the Amtrak station on West Main Street, but also says that meeting did not take place. What I find interesting is that when you look at the times in which the texts were sent, the last text that Sage sends him that we are aware of is, when are you leaving at 517? And we know that she woke up her roommate, Aubrey, at 540. And so she hasn't talked to Eric since 517, but we know she left to meet Eric at 540, okay? And so at 618, she's walking to her rendezvous point to meet Eric, presumably. And also at this time, remember, her sister claimed to have heard her say, I'll be there in five minutes. So whether or not she was telling Eric she'll be there in five minutes or whether or not she was telling her friend, I'm going to meet this guy in five minutes. Regardless, she thought she was only five minutes away from the rendezvous point. So it's very odd to me that at 627, Eric sends a text saying, you stood me up, bye. That's about nine minutes 
from the time she started that phone call when she thought she'd be there in five minutes. They were last seen on the same street, and yet Eric claims that meeting did not take place. I have no words. (laughs) When Sage didn't come home that next morning, Aubrey, in a panic, called Sage's grandmother, Lolita, and Lolita said immediately report Sage missing. You have to go and report her missing to the police. And so on that next day, November 21st, 2012, Sage was reported missing, which kudos to grandma because at 19, it isn't uncommon for family or even police to say that's too soon. It's too soon to report someone missing. You know, she hasn't even been missing for 24 hours yet at this point. And so the fact that they got the information to the police so quickly is commendable. And usually in cases like this, when you get the information this quickly, there's more evidence to uncover. And there is a larger chance of finding this person alive. It didn't take police long to figure out that Eric was going to be a person of interest as he was most likely the last person to see her as they were supposed to be meeting. However, within a week of Sage's disappearance, as soon as police try to bring him into custody, Eric disappeared and he has not been seen since the time of Sage's disappearance. Without Eric, police had very little to work with. And by November 2016, they actually reclassified Sage's case as a homicide. So before it was a missing persons case, and now they felt like they had enough information after four years to reclassify her case as a homicide. And upon this reclassification, they sent out a press release saying, no single element of this investigation led to the decision to reclassify this case. However, investigators believe, based on all the available information, a homicide designation is most appropriate at this time, end quote. Right now, when you look up Sage's case, her belief, date of death is November 20th, 2012. So the night that she went missing is the night that they believe that she was murdered. I was very surprised that they reclassified the case after four years because a lot of the times these cases tend to get forgotten or buried. But I think the reason why her case was still open because the perpetrator is still at large and they know who he is. They just cannot locate him for further questioning and to collect further evidence. Just family actually has a lot of faith in the detectives that are working her case. They claim that they have been really dedicated to finding Eric and to bringing justice to her case, which is also wonderful because it wasn't that long ago where if a transgendered person goes missing, their case doesn't get the attention that it deserves because statistically speaking, there's a belief that transgendered people run away more, especially teenagers, run away more than non-transgendered teenagers and The reason why I say believed is because a lot of these cases in which family thought that their kid ran away, the child, kid, teenager, whatever you call it, usually ended up in a dire situation that led to their disappearance. And I covered too many cases like this. I'm interested, especially older cases from the 70s through 
90s, I'm interested to see a reevaluation of those statistics to see how many of those cases were actually runaways and how many were those cases who fell into sex trafficking or was harmed in any way. So many things happen around that time period that wasn't reported on. So I'm just very curious of that. But time is definitely on Sage's side with her going missing in 2012. There is still a stigma on missing transgender teenagers. But it seems as if the detectives on her case are really giving it her their all. And so I never really get to say that in a episode. So that's why I, I want to make it clear. It's kind of awesome in that aspect. Sage's family is absolutely heartbroken by her disappearance and possible murder. Sage's younger sister is quoted as saying, our hearts are hurting, our hearts are heavy with pain as we long for the answers and justice for our loved one. Her grandmother told Dateline, I miss my Sage so much. I would give anything for my baby to walk through the door. Eric who still has not been found, unfortunately has ties to several metropolitan areas. So listen closely. He has ties to the Baltimore, Maryland area, Rochester, New York, Columbia, South Carolina, Lake City, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Lincoln University, and he has ties to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. So he can be anywhere in the general northeast to southern area of the United States. And I have to have my laptop up because that's a lot of locations where he could be. So if you are, again, in the northeast area to the southern area of the United States, look out for this man, Eric McFadden. He was 28 at the time in which he went on the run. So with that being 10 years ago, he's going to be around 38 now. Charlottesville, Virginia police is offering a 10,000 reward and the city is matching that 10,000 for any information leading to an arrest. Sage is described as being 5'11 and weighing about 130 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black jacket, dark gray sweatpants, a black scarf and gray boots. She is African-American with dark hair. And I will put the number below where you can leave your anonymous hit. So as I just mentioned, there isn't a lot of information on Sage's likes and dislikes and her personality or anything like that. Unfortunately, I don't know what her hobbies were. I don't even know where she worked. They're not releasing anything. And in fact, every headline that I've seen for Sage doesn't even put her name first. The first thing the headline says is transgender teen missing, usually comma or semicolon, and then they put her name Sage Smith. The only thing they post from her social media is when she came out on Facebook as transgender at 19. And so Sage is not just her sexuality. She is a complete person, likes and loves and dislikes. And I just want everyone to remember that as we look for Sage Smith. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime and Knit. For more information, please see my show notes at www.thedrunkmitter.com slash true crime.
So now it's time for the knitter mission. So today I am actually filming the day I am posting, which isn't what I normally do. So I feel a little bit, a little bit like, eh, you know, my son's getting off the bus in like T minus 30 minutes. So, but that's okay. It's just mom life. It, it is what it is. That's how, that's how we do as a mom. Today I am working vigorously on my, this isn't my next design, but my next, next design it is called the Only One Cardigan. It does not look like much. So if you're not watching, you're not missing anything. It looks like a jumble of knits. But the yarn is phenomenal. So I am using yarn from Premios Yarn Company. And the base is their Homestead Sport. And oh my gosh, look at that beautiful striping. I needed about like eight skeins for this project. And every skein is different. And I absolutely love that I did that because then you can create like a marled masterpiece like this. And oh my gosh, this cardigan is going to be called the only one cardigan because it's going to be the only cardigan that you will need. It's soft. It's oversized. It's going to have a hidden pocket where you can put all your phone and snacks and, and AirPods and whatever. You're not going to have that bulkiness in the front. It's going to be hidden on both sides. Okay. And so it's a really, it's the only cardigan you will ever need. And it has a delicious amount of positive ease. So that way you will always feel soft and cuddly and warm throughout the whole winter. And so I'm super excited and I'm super thankful that Frame Rose Yarn Company did the yarn support for this. She actually helped me handpick out the yarn at Rhinebeck this year. So that was fun. I also have a design coming out. It's going to be out hopefully next month, fingers crossed, around January. Oh gosh, it's going to take me a minute to get this one done, like tested and everything. And then I don't want to release it during the holidays. You know what I mean? Where it's going to get lost and what have you. So anyway, I'm looking for testers for this upcoming design. It is the sweater that I wore to Rhinebeck. It's super colorful. Oh my gosh, I have cat hair floating in the ether onto my lip gloss tragic. But anyway, it's a super fun, also another marl design. I'm into marling for some reason right now. I've been marling for a few years. I and I just haven't stopped. I can't stop doing like fades even though they're not really like in style. It's just my style right now, I guess. Well, I guess they're still in style. But as you can see, I have a faded, a beautiful faded shawl blanket behind me that I knitted two of, one for me, one for my mother-in-law. And I I literally wrap myself in this every single day. And then when I film, I have to put it back up so that way it looks like my, you know, my futon doesn't look too cheap, even though it is. So this design is marled. And when I wore it to Rhinebeck, everybody had to know literally everybody had to know when the design was coming out and y'all just have to wait one more month okay give my testers time give them time and then it'll be released most likely right after christmas but i but we'll see we'll see we'll see it's already been tech edited so that the hard part's done now y'all gotta knit it <laughs> and other than that those are my updates those are my designs coming up. Oh, don't forget to get yourself a true crime and knit shirt. I'll put that link also in the show notes. It's so soft and comfy. And I cannot imagine, you know, ooh, I cannot imagine a softer t-shirt. And I love 
I absolutely love wearing merch shirts. Like I have a collection of merch shirts, like not my merch, but other people's merch. And let me tell you, this is one of the softest ones, if not the softest ones I have. So that I have had the pleasure of wearing to sleep. So I 10 out of 10 highly recommend a true crime and knit shirt. If not, not to support me, but also to get one of the softest shirts ever. Anyway, this has been the Knitter Mission. My name is Sophia Talley, and this has been True Crime and Knit. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.